Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The first lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew at the very conclusion of it as Jesus is ready to ascend and the disciples have gathered around him. Let us listen to the word from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. The second lesson it is from Mark's Gospel, same page, return as you had your first lesson. This is Trinity Sunday, and I selected two portions that spoke to where we see the Trinity in action, all three persons at the same time. Now, please stand for our second lesson, those who are able. From Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 9, listen now to the Word of God. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit like a dove on him, descended, ascending, and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast, and the angels waited on him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now, you do not have to raise your hand to this question, but how many of you are familiar with the term elevator speech? Or you may have heard elevator pitch, similar term, similar meaning. Essentially, an elevator speech packs as much basic introductory information as possible into 30 seconds. It can be given, you can give your elevator speech so that the other person knows who you are and what you do and maybe even what you hope to do in the future. Based on the content of the speech and a person's needs, a given person may have a social elevator speech, a professional elevator speech, and a combination speech as well. 
These speeches serve as effective means to summarize basic facts. And they can also serve as launching pads for more in-depth conversation on particular points. Well, today on Trinity Sunday, I have an elevator speech to give you all. I will present my elevator speech on the Trinity. It will not be 30 seconds, but it won't be 30 hours either, so that's the good news. It will be a short summary of these basic beliefs and also some comments on why it matters to us today. This idea does present a challenge to convey. I remember my own kind of early trying to get a handle on this as a child. Summer of 1968, I am four. We are at Ocean Drive Beach, South Carolina. I am on, it's evening, I am on the porch with my father and sitting in his lap. And I can remember having a conversation with him and saying, Daddy, how can he have a son if he doesn't have a wife? Trying to understand about Jesus being God's son. I could understand if Mrs. God didn't get out much. Okay, that, that would make sense. But how could this be? I don't remember the answer that my father gave me, but I managed to get through that little crisis and, and persevere and continue. Some basic facts or understandings of the Trinity. We're not talking about three gods, but one God in three persons. But we're not talking about God in three parts. And we're not talking about a God that morphs or changes from one person to the other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coexisted co-eternally. None were created, none more important. The early church fathers wrestled with this concept to describe, to be able to teach it. And it was Irenaeus in the second century it coined the term Trinity. One contemporary pastor, Kevin DeYoung, summarized the points with seven lines. There's only one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Father. The Trinity is a mystery that we will never completely understand but it will lead us to discover the wonders of the triune God who creates us and saves us and guards us and guides, guides us. It is a part of our faith and even a part of our seal. If you look back to the cover of the Presbyterian, it's on the bulletin, it has the cover of the PCUSA, and you will see the Trinity, the triangle, is inferred in that design. I looked at our Heidelberg Catechism. It is part of our Constitution of the Presbyterian Church, a statements, a collection of statements of basic belief. And there is a section on the Trinity and describes God the Father and our creation, God the Son and our deliverance, and God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. And I want to follow that outline today. 
We have God the Father. Again, in the Heidelberg Catechism, we are asked, What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father of the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And the answer given, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by His eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ His Son. In many respects, we see God the Father as the front person of the Trinity. Dr. George Straup, professor of theology at Columbia Seminary, one who has preached and taught here before, kind of humorously said in class, we see God the Father as the big kahuna. God the Father at creation. We see God there, but the Scripture also states that God the Holy Spirit was moving over the waters, and the Spirit Son is there also. But God the Father spoke through Abraham, to Abraham and to Moses and spoke through the prophets. At times, God the Father can seem harsh to our modern ears in terms of words of judgment that come through the prophets. But keep in mind this, the people were disobedient. Now, my mother counted to three. And when she counted to three, you better be there. She only counted to three once in my life. The impact remained with me so that even later, I thought I'd be cocky and not respond. When she got to two, a feeling of fear filled me. And I immediately said, I'm coming. And then followed by, well, okay, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths, and I would be there. I actually had a relative who only count, who counted to five for her child, and that really upset my sister and me. That yeah, kid got it easy. Well, God counts to about a thousand before the people are punished for the things that they had done. And even as they're punished, and the people eventually were sent into exile from Judah, God had a plan to bring them back home. I like the way it is phrased in Isaiah. Again, God is speaking to the people and uses this image. It's from Isaiah 49. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. A more contemporary illustration comes from Les Miserables the character of Jean Valjean. And as Randall Working, a Presbyterian minister, references in his book, he says, Jean Valjean is a figure of God's grace and tenderness in Victor Hugo's novel. Again, Les Miserables. Valjean has been caring for a destitute woman, and he finds that the woman, in desperation, had bordered her little girl Cosette with the owners of a country inn. They turn out to be mean-spirited people who exploit her as a servant. But the poor mother had no other options. And now on her deathbed, the mother makes Valjean promise to care for Cosette. Valjean goes to the child 
And he doesn't let the manipulative innkeeper stop him from buying back the forlorn little girl. The innkeeper senses a strong resolve on the part of Jean Valjean that will not be determined just as a demon senses when it's in the presence of a higher God. The good man prevailed, and early next morning, two dark figures could be seen making their way down the country road, away from the end, a strong man holding the hand of a little girl who had so hated and who had been so hated in that place. In her other hand, she clutched a new doll. And she looked up to the face of the stranger who was her Savior, feeling like she was walking with God. Valjean is a symbol of, for God who not only brought our salvation, but who commits to caring for us. God the Father. And I believe in Jesus Christ, God the Son, as it speaks of God and our deliverance. Again, going back to the Heidelberg Catechism, that set of questions about faith and the response that people were taught. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? And our answer? Because He saves us from our sins, salvation cannot be found in anyone else. It is futile to look for salvation elsewhere. Jesus is God the Son, and He always existed. Back when the people are in captivity in Egypt, and the Pharaoh is holding sway, God calls, calls Moses to ultimately lead the Exodus, to lead the people out of bondage. And Moses says, well, who do I tell Pharaoh sent me? And God says, tell him that I am has sent you. Fast forward many centuries later, and Jesus is teaching. And the Pharisees ask, you know, by why authority? And you know, we have Abraham, and who are you to be doing this? Who do you think you are? And Jesus says, before Abraham, I am. He is clearly and distinctly letting them know that he is God, that he was there. He was there when Abraham got called. He was there when Moses got the law. It's like the original author interpreting the law to the people. I was there, folks. That is what he's saying. And the Pharisees want to stone him at that point because he is claiming to be God. He is fully human and he is fully divine. In his life, he showed us how to live. And he also gives us a strong view, a better view of God the Father. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, they say, show us the Father. And, John, and Jesus tells the disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And he is without sin, and he paid the penalty for our sin. Again, I like the way Randall Working put it. Why was this? Why was death the only way for us to be reconciled with God? It is because God is altogether holy. In order to meet the demands of His perfection, a sacrifice had to be made, and the sacrifice had to be a definitive one. Therefore, either the sacrifice had to be made again and again forever, 
or only the infinite God Himself would be capable of offering it. Death was the natural consequence of human imperfection. Some of you may have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, a tale of four children in wartime England who go through a magical wardrobe, a closet, into another land, Narnia. When they go there, Narnia is ruled by the White Witch, and it's always winter. And it's not a Georgia winter, it's a Connecticut winter on steroids all the time. And Edmund, the youngest boy, he's number three, but the younger boy, gets caught up with the white witch. She beguiles him, she, she fools him, but he gets in league with her for a time, and he ends up betraying Aslan and, the bro- and his brother and his sisters. Aslan is a lion. He is the son of the great emperor across the sea. He is someone that the animals who could speak, you know, they would talk of Aslan and the other creatures who lived there. And some wondered if he existed. Well, Aslan has returned. And there's a showdown at one point with the white witch. And she says, there's a traitor in your midst and I must have his life. That's the law. Well, Aslan goes in and has a conversation with her. And he comes out and he says, it's resolved, Edmund, you can go free. I have offered my life to the white witch. And so with great ceremony, he goes on a given night to meet the white witch. And all the ghouls and hags and whatnot are around. And they're laughing. And he is mocked. And his mane is shaved. He is humiliated in front of them. And then she kills him. And he is there on this rock. But the rock breaks. Two girls, the two two sisters, uh, Lucy and Susan, remained watching, just like the women watched the crucifixion of Christ. And they're awakened, and all of a sudden, Aslan is not there. And then he comes back. Then they see him. And he basically lets them know that he had the trump card to the white witch's ace. Because of the deep magic that she did not even know about said that if one who had done nothing wrong offers himself in exchange for the one who had done wrong, the spell is broken. And so that is what he has done as Christ died for us and paid the penalty for our sin. And then there's God, the Holy Spirit, the third person. And again, we look to John 14 and that, that gospel and what it says. In the 14th chapter, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask my Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. 
At times, the Holy Spirit is called the advocate, the comforter, the counselor. He, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit has sealed us at the point of our redemption. And the Holy Spirit leads us, works within us, works within the body of Christ. The Spirit gives us gifts for service. The Spirit can strengthen our natural gifts and give us a new passion for our work, a new vision. Through the Spirit, we grow in the fruits of the Holy Spirit, such as peace and patience and faithfulness and goodness. Some have called the book of Acts the gospel of the Holy Spirit. In that book, we see the church expand from a small group in Judea, which is in Asia. It goes on to Africa and then to Europe. The church is expanding and growing. People are coming into the body. It is the Holy Spirit that is at work. And today, as we serve, as people step up for service and reach out to one another, the Spirit is at work. We have seen the Spirit at work this past year. Even when you may have thought the Holy Spirit had left the building, the Holy Spirit was here working to heal, to encourage, to start the work, to mend bridges. It may be hard to understand because there's no visual image that easily comes to mind for the Holy Spirit. The best picture we have is the church in action. When the church is serving and nurturing and praying and worshiping and witnessing and teaching, that is where we see the Spirit at work. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Why is this important to know? Three, I, three, three reasons. And the first is very simple. This is the God whom we worship, and we need to know about the God whom we worship. And second, it shows us how God has revealed Himself and how God has filled out different functions of creating and redeeming and sustaining, reconciling us to God, reconciling us to Himself. And third, if Christianity were simply a religion of keeping the law, then the inner life of a lawgiver would not matter. But Christianity is about a personal relationship with God. And if that's the case, then who God is absolutely matters. God, the Trinity, invites us into a relationship, and God is all about relationships. In that mysterious way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have all been in relationship since forever. The Trinity did not create one another. It has always been and always been in relationship. We were made in the image and likeness of God, and God calls us to be in fellowship with one another. In varying degrees, we are in relationship with one another, even an introvert like me.
This may be the hardest thing for us today to grasp, but as we live together in fellowship and we care for one another, we, we show the Trinity to the world. But we do not do it alone, for the Holy Spirit is at work within us so that even today we can live out the Trinity. Amen. To God be the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, amen. <laughs>